If you grab your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and pull it out today. I'm going to talk about uh, the title of my message is Into Christmas. We're on Advantageous Part 3, Into Christmas. Say that with me, Into Christmas. There are so many stories that kind of captivate our attention. Things that are kind of are in the movies, things around us, the sports. And some people are into sports and some people are kind of pulled in and tugged into the drama around the world or natural disasters like the fires in California. Could be a lot of different things. This week, went to see on the opening night Star Wars. How many of you have ever seen Star Wars. There's some crazy people that come out for Star Wars movies. Let me tell you, people are showing up with lightsabers in their hands and, and uh, just amazing stuff. People really get into different things. Others get into great books or maybe great music or food. Some people are like major league into the food network and the food show. How many of you watch cooking shows? You know, some people are into so many different kinds of things, crafting, cars. I know people that can listen to an engine and they can tell what kind of engine it is while it's running. That's not me, but there's many people that do. And there's a difference between just watching and really being into it. See, being in is some, into something is to move away from observing and moving toward participating. It's just not just observing, but it's participating. And there's a difference between having knowledge about something and being in with something, joining it. My kids and my family, if I, if I say, making a Chipotle run, who's in? Every hand goes up, I'm in. Going to Chipotle or Canes or something like that. And there's, there's a, I want to be in, I want to participate, I want to jump in on it. And if you miss the story, you're missing something significant and it isn't quite hitting you. And I, when it comes to God, I want you to know this. God was so into your story and the story of humanity that he ditched his place of comfort and he jumped in in the story of Jesus' birth. He was into you. And the Gospels, these, this Bible, if, especially if you read Matthew or Luke's accounts of the story of Jesus' birth this week, you need to know it shows the intentional story of the incarnation, of how Jesus stepped in because he was into you. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's into you. He is. And Luke's gospel in particular is fascinating. In fact, turn there to Luke chapter 2 with me for a moment. We're going to look at Matthew in a second as well. But By talking about how others have written about Jesus as well. But he decided to write his own account. Now Luke was a doctor. He was particular about the language that he put in, in the stories and the people that he put in. But he wasn't only the author of Luke. He was also the author of Acts. The two volumes of one story, if you will. And as he penned the story of Jesus' incarnation and his birth, he pointed out certain things for a particular reason. And I want you to notice one of them. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, Mary and Joseph approached Bethlehem and it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because, everybody said because, 
because there was no place for them in the inn. In our world, the challenge that we face is it's still a fast-paced lifestyle we have. And our preoccupation with telephones and busyness can put us in a place where we're only concerned about temporary things. And we don't have room for the fullness of the story of Jesus' birth to invade our concerns. Let's think about how many of you had a busy weekend already? And it's difficult to move that value of the story into your life because you're full. There's no room in the end. Why is that? Why do we get bored with the story? We can get bored because we forget the why of how Jesus' story is such a big deal. It can become old, like an old song or an old toy that no longer catches our interest. It's interesting to other people, but maybe not to us. Other people are Star Wars type people. But maybe we don't. And we lose our love. And those things are available to us in the Christmas story. And I want you to know today that the why is found in his name. The title Messiah from the Old Testament, as they were looking forward to this great figure that would rescue Israel, they were hoping for that they were looking forward to. And as there was a moment in time when this little baby was going to be born, the Christ was going to enter the story. Only it wasn't what they thought it would be. And the story, as you can look at both Gospels in Matthew and in Luke, you can discover that Mary is informed by an angel that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. And that she would become pregnant by God, essentially, a, a, a miracle birth. Uh, incarnation, and the, the, the baby was going to come, and then the story kind of moves from, from Mary to Joseph, and an angel tells Joseph, and Joseph is contemplating those things, and he's like, I can't stay engaged because he and Mary were engaged, and I can't stay engaged because there's a cultural stigma. She might have been ostracized by her family and for the rest of her life pushed away from the culture simply because she became pregnant before she was married. And Joseph was a dignified, honorable man, and he didn't want this woman who he loved, this girl that he loved, he didn't want her to, to have further pain. So he came up with ways to quietly break the engagement, to not get married, to ask for the ring back, if you will. And something happens because Joseph and his problem and his solution, God still intervenes in Matthew chapter 1. You can turn there too. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel visits Joseph and confirms Mary's story and gives Joseph instructions.
And, uh, and I went downstairs to the chapel. All four of our boys were born at Unity Hospital across the street from our Spring Lake Park campus. And we walked, I, I went down to the chapel and I prayed. And while I was praying, I looked up and they had one of those big, massive Bibles. You ever seen them in little chapels? I mean, the Bible's like this big by this big. And, you know, you need a forklift to carry it out of the room. But I looked down at the paper, and I, I don't know exactly where it was, but I looked, and it was as if a light from heaven shone down on the page, and a highlighter showed up, and it said on the page, the Lord was pleased with David. How many know I had my name? <laughs> now, I had, to, I had to go through a few steps because my brother, my younger brother, his name is David, and I had to call him back in the day. I think I actually went to one of those pay phones. I put a quarter in, and I called him. And I said, hey, uh, I want to name my son David, but I, if you're planning on doing that with your kids someday, I don't want to get in the way, and it's your name kind of thing, but I want to name him after you, blah, blah, blah. He said, go ahead. My brother's one of the most giving, kind, loving people in the world. And then I went upstairs and I shared it with Jody, and she said, okay, and, uh, but she got to name the next one. So the <laughs> <laughs> point I'm trying to make is, is that the name had meaning to us, the origin of it and the purpose and the fact that it was divine. Joseph was given an assignment from heaven, if you will. And that assignment was, you need to name him something. You name him Jesus. Now that's what we say today. But back in those days, that isn't necessarily how he pronounced it. Okay? They pronounced it different. In fact, if you go into both the Greek and into Hebrew, neither one of them have a J in it. So it's a... Yeah. instead of a J. We say J nowadays, they would say yeah. It would have been more Yeshua. Perhaps you've heard that name and the Jews have talked about Yeshua. Yeshua or Joshua would be another way of saying it. And if you go back into the Old Testament, there's this figure called Joshua. And Joshua was, uh, when he was younger, he was sent with 11 other people into the promised land to spy out the promised land. And he and his buddy Caleb came back and said, we can take the land. But the other 10 said, no, we can't. And uh, Israel didn't, know, didn't listen to these people, young people of faith. How I many know we need to listen to some of the dreams of the next generation sometimes? And so the, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert. A whole generation died off. And eventually Moses dies. Joshua becomes the leader. And he is the one that takes Israel into the promised land. God gives him some words. He says, be very strong and courageous. And says, you got to stand up. Why? Joshua, actually the name means this, the Lord saves. And so Joshua was not just a person that proclaimed it. He wasn't just kind of a, a public speaker. He was actually a warrior. He was somebody that led the armies of Israel to conquer the new land. He was the one that stepped into the promised land. And there was opposition. And that opposition meant that there was a fight. There was a war. There was a battle. And so Joshua was a warrior. By the time the Messiah shows up and he is named essentially Yeshua or Joshua, there's this moment in time when God was saying, I am raising up the next warrior and that warrior is going to do something. You are to name him Jesus. And then it says, for he will save his people from their sins. 
there was a pronouncement over this little baby that he was going to rescue people. He was going to go into battle. There was going to be opposition, but he would save people from their sins. You know, in America today, we don't talk about sin that much. We don't speak about sin that much. We talk about mistakes and problems and deficiencies and weaknesses. We talk about a lot of things, but sin is a real thing. It has power. It has strength. It wars against our soul and our relationships, and, and sins want to come after us. And in, even in Jesus' day, in Mary and Joseph's day, when Je- Jesus was named um, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, if you will, even in those days, they thought the Messiah was going to overthrow the government, get rid of the oppressors, get rid of the Romans, get rid of the things that were bothering, get rid of the economic injustice, get rid of all the, the problems with corporations. And they thought that's what the Messiah was here for, but that wasn't what he came to war over. Those are temporary things. What he came to deal with was a war against sin itself. You see, because sin was what separated people from God and separated people from people. Sin was the thing that when you stand and look in the mirror and you're disappointed with yourself and you're like, I wish that I didn't uh, let lust win the day. I wish that I wasn't so angry. I wish that I had more self-control. I wish that I was more confident in loving. Sin was the very thing that robs us of who we were designed to be. Sin is our greatest enemy. Some of you think that Satan is your enemy. Yes, he is, but he's not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is sin. Jesus has already conquered the enemy called the devil, the Satan, but he is also conquering and a warrior over your sin. He came to save the people from their sins. He came to save you from your sin. He came because he's a warrior that sets people free from their sins. Come on, somebody. Sin wants to be our master. See, I think we lose a sense of the value of Christmas. Even Christians or people that have heard the gospel many times, we can think of it in terms of, yes, I'm a sinner when I bow my heart and I surrender to Christ and I become a new creation and he forgives me from sin, then that's over. But we don't consider the fact that after we are saved that we still battle sin. Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 6, and he's talking about it throughout Romans where he's talking about the thing I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I shouldn't do, I do. He's battling sin, and he talks about how sin wants to be our master and control us. In Romans 6.16, it says, don't you realize that you, don't, you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching that we have given you. Why is Christmas important for everyone? Because all of us continually need Yeshua. We need Jesus to save us from the power of sin. And I'm a follower of Jesus and there are things that sin wants to destroy me. I am saved eternally. 
My, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I, I have been adopted into the family of God. His love is powerful and I've been forgiven and I have uh, access to the Father. But on a daily basis, I still battle sin that wants to come back and be my master. It wants to control me. It wants to imprison me. It wants to stop me. And in those moments, even though I've already given my life to Jesus, in those moments, I still need Yeshua, the Savior, to step into my today so that I can say no to the master of sin and say yes to the master of Jesus, my Savior. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And you wonder why it's a big deal every year. Why do we keep telling the same story? Isn't there like a next movie to Star Wars? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, saw it, memorized all the lines. I'm no longer in the story. And I want to tell you this. You and I are included in an ongoing way into his story because Jesus looked at our story and said, you're missing something if I'm not in your story. And when we come to Christmas, we're reminded that Jesus is still there for you no matter what age you are. If you're in middle school or high school, a young adult, you're middle aged or you are in the greatest season of your life, you need to know that Jesus is still just as much your Yeshua, your battler, your Joshua, he is still there to fight for you today. Come on, somebody. He's with you. So let's get back to the story. <laughs> we see in Luke the story. Who's in the story that Luke crafts in Jesus' story at Christmas? Let me give you just a few things that are important to notice. You see in Luke multiple generations. Multiple generations. We see elder generations, Zechariah and Elizabeth, these figures that are older. We see people included in the story like teenagers. Mary most likely was in her very young teens. We wouldn't get away with that in today's culture, but it was very common for a, a, a young lady to be betrothed by the time she was 14. How many of you dads of little girls are glad that's not the case anymore? Come on, somebody. I'm going to kill that boy. He tries to engage my daughter, right? But they're teenagers. I love the fact, you know, God's still breathing on the next generation. The story is still being written on the next generation. You see them in there. But between the two, I want you to catch something. God is intergenerational, not just multi-generational. See, we often will be in the room but separate from each other. We can have multiple generations but not be together. You can go to your Christmas celebrations this week with family. And I can remember when I was a little kid, the adults had a table and then there was a kiddie table. You guys know what I'm talking about? And we're separate in the room but not together. That's multi-generational. Intergenerational is when the generations are connecting with one another. That's where the miracle happens. I think it's possible still in the church. I think it's possible in families. I think it's needed in this generation. You know what I think the older generation needs? They need to be able to share their story and give away their advice. The older generations, and I put myself into that category now, I've gone through some junk. I've made some mistakes. Anybody else? 
I've got some regrets, things I wish I hadn't done. But out of that came wisdom. And then I look at the next generation, and I see my kids or I see others, and I go, you don't need to do that. And sometimes what comes out of me is lecture. Don't do that. That's stupid. How many know they don't listen to that? And meanwhile, the next generation is going, I just want a mentor to believe in me. I just wish somebody would, I could process life. I wish I had somebody to help me. And there's this gap, generational gap. We're generations in the same room, but we're multi-generational, not intergenerational. And I want to give you some advice. For those of you that are older, listen to me. You know your avenue to get to share your story is not by sharing your story first. It's by listening to their story first. Tell me what's going on in your world. And if you let them talk, because listen, they might get two or three sentences into, my teacher's a jerk, and I don't, I don't have enough money, and I wish it, but, you know, they might, if you try to go to advice too quickly and not listen long enough, you'll never get the invitation to share your story. But if you listen to them, and believe them, hello, believe them, then over time your interest in them shows that you care more about them than the information you want to share with them. That becomes the bridge for the next generation to ask you, how did you do it? Okay? So I'm calling the church, I'm calling families. I'm calling the older generation this week when you get together with Christmas and all that kind of thing to pause and really be interested in the next generation coming behind you. Even if they don't ask you questions yet. Don't jump too quickly to tell. Jump quickly to listen. And then the next generation, you need to hear this. Those people in your life that don't do what you do aren't stupid. They're not archaic. They actually have something to offer. They've gone through some stuff, and if you ask the question of the generation ahead of you, how did you do it? They are longing to share their story with you, waiting to share their story with you. And if both of you can listen to each other without coming up with what you're going to say in response while they're talking and you pause enough to enter their world, you will discover the miracle of Christmas entering your home. Can I get an amen? amen? Who is in Jesus' story at Christmas? Multiple generations. But also there are people nearby. You see in here shepherds who are nearby, non-relatives, people that are on the periphery, and innkeeper. Some of you might think, boy, I would not want to be the innkeeper in this story. Didn't let them in. There was no room at the end for the Savior. How would that feel on Judgment Day, right? And it can feel like, but let me tell you this, intentionally Luke shows that God includes people that are on the periphery around you. And what would happen in Bethlehem would echo around the world. It would reach people that you wouldn't think it would reach. And God is always including people on the periphery of your life. There are people in your story, people you work with, people that, that are your neighbors, people that you bounce into and have divine appointments while you're at the store, that if you pause, you will realize they aren't just irritating people because of the person in front of you in line and they got too much stuff. 
but perhaps God is setting you up to include them in his story. Yeshua the warrior cares about people who are away from him. Who's in Jesus' story? Generations and people who are nearby. But then third, the spirit is in his story. In the birth of Jesus, you see all kinds of activity, angels visiting people, but the Holy Spirit has been a part of the entire story. And Luke goes to great lengths to show that literally everything that Jesus did in the rest of Luke and everything he did through the church in Acts was influenced by the Spirit. Mary experienced the miraculous. She experienced the Spirit doing something unheard of. And out of that erupted certain things. A song came out of her. She began to sing what we now call the Magnificat. She sang a song to the Lord. There was the Spirit of God doing something. There were prophecies, and, and, and even when, when Jesus was inside of Mary and, and uh, John the Baptist was inside of Elizabeth and they bumped into each other, two pregnant ladies, the Holy Spirit was active in the womb. Hello. How many know he's active in the womb today? How many know we need to pray that God saves our babies today in America? We need to pray it. We need to ask God do a miracle. He's there. But on top of that, at the darkest moment of Mary's life, she's got this, she's aware God has spoken to her, but she's now pregnant. And she realizes, I am, my future does not look good. My family might kick me out. The, the people that I walk by in my city are going to look down on me. I'm, I'm a marked woman. I don't look good. I'm, I, things don't, I'm going to be a single mom, and I don't know if I can. It's the darkest moment. I want you to hear me today. That the Spirit was there with Mary, and the Spirit is there with you. You may be in a dark moment where you feel like there's no hope. You might have good knowledge of the truth, but you are experiencing a sense of lack of hope and you don't know if you can make it. You need to hear me. He is there in the darkest moments like he was in Genesis chapter 1 when the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the earth which was formless and void and had no purpose, no shape, no form. And then out of that came creation. The Spirit of God can come into our darkest moments and he can hover over the top of us and he can give us a future. Creative things can come out of the darkest places. I love what Christine Kane says. She says sometimes... When you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. You think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. Who's in Jesus' story? We are in. Not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. Heaven invades earth, intercepts hell, becomes an intergenerational phenomenon and bridges the gap between us and God. It's the inescapable love of God. This Christmas, we have to do everything in our power to embrace the truth of Christmas for us today, for those that are in the circles around us, and to share the opportunity. Christmas is our opportunity to reach people. Let's be in for people in our life. Let's not be full like the inn was full. Let's be in to see the gospel released in our story in this day and age. The number one way a person will receive information about a church is through a personal invite. They're more likely to come to church 
because you asked them to come to church. How many know sometimes that means you need to ask more than once? My Minnesota nice, hello. But they're more likely to come if you invite them than just by seeing a Facebook ad or being had in an invite. And when you say come, it means come with me. Not just come and sit on the other side of the room. Let's do have a meal before and afterwards. Let me hear your story. The top five times that people are open to considering matters of faith, number five, after the birth of a baby. Number four, after a natural disaster. Three, after a major national crisis like 9-11. Two, during the Easter season. And the number one time in their life they're open to the gospel is during the Christmas season. This is our time. Not in January when you get more time. Not when your schedule frees up. This is the time when they're ready for him to come into their story. We're going to have a Christmas spectacular this weekend. And it's just a, it's music, it's high impact, powerful, trust me. They're amazing. There'll be a shorter version of the gospel presentation that I'll share of how, how Jesus is there for us. But listen, if all we do is preach to the people that have already got it, somebody's missing out. They're on the outside of the inn. And friends, let's bring the gospel to people this Christmas, amen? You have an opportunity this Saturday, a couple times on Sunday, for you to invite people. You can pray, you can invite, you can serve one of our services. We need help for one-time event services. You can come this Wednesday night and you can get trained. We'll train you on Wednesday night. We're going to have a special training for volunteers for this coming weekend. You can jump in. You're like, no, i got to go shopping. No, i got to do something else. I'm just going to ask you the question, what are you in for this Christmas? What are you in? What are you fanatical about? What are you passionate about? What are you entering into? And I'm not saying you have to come on Wednesday, but I'm saying you need to do everything you can to see this gospel reach the people that are around you. We need to believe that God can do the impossible in others' lives. Can I get an amen, church? You know, sometimes when I get quiet, it's because people are going through their calendar in their head. But I just think that there's a, there's a, we need to wake up and recognize that all of us are a part of the message getting out to the people around us and embracing the gospel in our own story. All of us have an invitation today. Jesus wants to be your warrior. He wants to step in and keep being your warrior. Sin doesn't have to be your master anymore. Anger doesn't have to be your master anymore. Lust doesn't have to be your master anymore. Guilt doesn't have to be your master anymore. Jesus said in Matthew, and he, she will have a son, the scripture says, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He wants to bring freedom. John 8, Jesus said it this way, so if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Church, today, I want to challenge you to embrace all that Yeshua wants to bring to you this Christmas. Embrace it. If you have other masters controlling your life, can you remember the time, those of you that came to faith in Jesus, when the light bulb went on, that you didn't need to live that way anymore, and you embraced the truth of Jesus and it became real to you, and how he sets you free. Well, 
let that be more than a memory. Let that be an ongoing embracing of the Savior. And what about those of you here today that perhaps you came because somebody invited you to church or you come once a year or came to watch some kids sing on a platform? Whatever the reason was that you came, did you know that Jesus has you in his story? That he cares about you? That he's interested in you? That the Holy Spirit is near to you right now? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world in regard to sin. God's not into conviction so that we feel bad all the time and feel guilty. Conviction causes us to look to the Savior. It's like we're drowning and he throws a life vest. He throws something that is something to hold on to, to keep us from drowning. He saves us. And if you're here today and you're feeling convicted, you're feeling the stir, it's the Holy Spirit pointing you to Jesus. You need a Savior, and He'll come to you. I want to pray with you. Would you just close your eyes where you are in all of our campuses, those online. We just take a moment where you're not looking at anybody else. You're not distracted by the moment, the phone. Just put it away. But you're right here right now, and you need, you need to see that Jesus is reaching out to you. And I have two groups of people. The first group, you're a Christian. But today, God is stirring you, prompting you to remember that you still need a Savior in your battle against sin, that you still need Yeshua to join your story. And if you're here and you're a Christian and you... You need Jesus, the Savior, to step in. You need to remember that sin doesn't need to be your master any longer, that you need to turn back to him. Just put your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Nate. Yeah, yeah. Father, you see the hands. I pray, God, that you would help awaken. And Jesus, you would step in as our Savior, Joshua. You would step in and lead us, I pray. Put your hands down. Nobody's looking around, but you're here today. And you're away from God. You've never given your life to Christ, but you need to today. I'd love to pray with you. And if that's you, you say, Pastor Nate, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need him to forgive me my sin. I need to yield my life to him. Just put your hand up. Say, that's me, Pastor Nate. I need to give my life to Jesus. Maybe the first time or you need to come back to him all over. Yeah. Yeah. Those of you that raise your hands, it's a powerful moment because where the Holy Spirit is, He's going to create something new, brand new. Fresh starts are about to happen. But it starts with you bowing your heart to Him, praying. And if you could pray out loud with me, just pray this prayer. Repeat it after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your life for me on the cross. You rose from the dead and you're alive. Today, I surrender to you. I invite you to come and save me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new and help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Amen.